Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. talks about the same thing in a different way. We're going to go over a couple of different passages in Ephesians today that will be related to this. So you can keep this, even though we're not going to mention these particular verses today, you could keep this song in your mind. It would be helpful. So page 2, which is taken from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Let the peace of Christ in your heart. 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 Let
Love that song. What that means, wake my glory, awake heart and liar, I will wake in the dawn. There's two meanings to that, at least two. One of the meanings is to awake in the morning time, singing praises to God. Getting up, praying, worshiping, using those musical instruments to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord. A lot of times we today, most of us have to use CDs because we don't have musical ability. We don't have any ability or skills of playing a musical instrument. But if you are blessed with a gift or a talent or a skill or ability to play a musical instrument, use it and worship the Lord with it. Amen. Amen. Break the darkness of the night by worshiping the Lord in the morning, in the sunrise. That is such a powerful moment, sunrise. Such a powerful moment right there. I love sunrise. I wish I wasn't so lazy and could get up out of bed and see the sunrises every morning. But I love that moment. It's a powerful moment. And the other meaning is, Father, wake up. Pay attention to me. Hear my prayers. And, of course, he is always awake. The Bible says he never slumbers. Amen. But sometimes it seems like he is asleep. Sometimes it seems like he is ignoring us and not hearing our prayers when the truth is he is alive and awake inside of us and around us. He sees and hears everything. He knows what we're going through. But David and other people did say, wake up, pay attention to me. Sometimes we have those dry spells. But if we will awaken the dawn with worship and praise, cast out the darkness and bring in the light, then he was seen awake to us if we would just acknowledge him. He is there. He is awake. But we have to acknowledge and believe and trust in his presence, his faithfulness, his goodness, his power, his authority. And open our eyes, it's not he that have his eyes closed, but ourselves that have our eyes closed. Open our hearts, open our minds, and receive him, and he will come in to us and suck with us. Even have breakfast with us, not just supper. So praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Let me move my computer. Rob will go take care of the door so that we won't have nobody stuffed in on us. I wouldn't want to uh, bring fire down from heaven on nobody. So we'll close the door so I don't have to do that if they come and invade us. And this wicked world is a reality that people could come in and invade us. So we have to uh, be wise and face reality of the wicked world we live in. Greetings, everybody that's listening around the world in Australia, Alaska, up north and up south and over west and over east and all the four corners of the earth. Praise the Lord. Maybe one of these days they'll listen to us on the International Space Station. Who knows? 
this going prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you for waking us up. Thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for calling us, choosing us. Thank you for a new day. Thank you, Father, that we're not in the hospital, that we're not in a nursing home, that we're not in the grave, that most of us are not in prison. And if we are not in such desperate situations, help us to be mindful of our blessings and to praise you and to be in gratitude and thanksgiving. Let us forever be mindful of our blessings. Praise your holy name. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to embrace your word for today. Help us, Lord, to not just remember words from years ago, although those are important too. We hold on to those. But, Father, we want a fresh word. We want your word for today and your word for tomorrow. Ask you, Father, Father, to quicken our spirits and our minds and our hearts for you. Energize us. Bring us awake, Father. Help us to be alert and aware. Help us, Lord, to embrace reality and not be living in a fantasy land or with a head buried in the sand. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, reality, and to your spirit and to your will. We pray, Lord, that we'll go forth after today, even later today, with renewed energy, renewed empowerment, an increase of your spirit, an increase of living for you in the center of your will. Pray, Lord, that you keep us strong. Help us be constantly reminded of your presence. Let us not neglect you. Let us not ignore you. Let us feel forever more close to you. Pray all this. Pray your will prevail in these services and in every member of this congregation. Pray your will prevail, Father. That your word will not return void nor vain, but shall accomplish the purpose which forfeit is being sent. In Jesus' name so be it. Amen. Praise Jesus. Well, I got my chocolate milk lined up and my cherry soda drink. So, I'll keep my throat moist so I can holler and shout. Let's turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. This was written by Dr. Luke, who was from Syria. He was the only Gentile that wrote in the Bible that I can think of. Let's turn to Acts 1. 
Acts chapter 1. The topic today, or the name of the sermon today, is Fire Given to Us. Fire Given to Us. One of the places in the Bible that I do think of when I think of the power and authority given to us through Jesus Christ is Acts chapter 1. Why is that? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, as we go through today's sermon, I'm going to do something different today. And that is, as we go through today's lesson, I'm also going to teach some of you, teach you how to take notes, how to take notes for sermons. So I'd like for everybody to have an ink pen and paper. I do encourage, have encouraged people, will continue to encourage people to take notes for the sermons. And I do send email to some people of the sermon notes, but you need to learn yourself how to take notes. And I've noticed that different people, more than one person, that their technique of using sermon notes is either too condensed, not writing down enough, or way overboard, writing way too much. The appropriate way to make notes is to make notes that are long enough for you to understand it when you go when you come back a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, that you won't be reading it and be like, why did I write this? And what does this mean? And and, and what is the context of this verse and not even know or understand because you're not taking enough notes. Uh, it should not be that way, but rather you should be able to understand from your notes what that Bible verse is about, why we read it, why you should pay attention, how you should remember it. A lot should be able to come to your mind through those notes. But yet, it should not be overboard to where you're writing huge paragraphs in every word I say. That's way overboard. You use way too much ink, too much paper, and too much time and energy. And you're actually, even though you're writing down what I say, you're actually missing the spirit. If you pay too much attention or if you yeah, too much attention to what you're doing, your spelling, your writing, then you're not paying enough attention to the spirit. You have to have the proper balance while you're taking your notes. You got to be able to look up, see me, listen to me, pay attention to me, feel the spirit, worship God, be able to close your eyes and worship be able to raise your hands and worship these things and not be totally occupied with writing from the time I start speaking to the time I stop speaking. If you're writing the whole time, you're just going to miss a whole lot. And uh, so you've got to have the proper balance, not too much notes and not too few notes either. So what I'd like for you to do today in this lesson of not only learning about the power that God has given us and how to use that and being encouraged to use that, but also how to take notes with the proper balance. And what I'd like for you to do now is to write down, if you've not yet, write down Acts 1, 
when you put what you call a colon, is that the two dots would be a colon? One through 11. Acts 1, colon, 1 through 11, meaning verses 1 through 11. Now, then beside this, I want you to write down, receive power. authority. Again, that's received power slash authority from Holy Ghost. From Holy Ghost. Now we could say from the Holy Ghost, but that's not really necessary. We want to write notes that are condensed, short, but you know you still know what you're saying. And you don't have to use the word the. You know it's the Holy Ghost. And then Put a period or jump to the next line, either one, and put the words, baptism of Holy Ghost. Now, you're going to see why in these verses as we read them, why we wrote down, receive power slash authority from Holy Ghost and baptism of Holy Ghost. Acts 1, verse 11. The first narrative I wrote meaning Luke is saying, I've written before. The first narrative I wrote, Theophilus, meaning I'm writing to you. Theophilus, however it's pronounced, I don't care how it's pronounced. It doesn't matter how it's pronounced. I'm writing to you, and I've written to you before, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. There's no reason to write down in your notes who he's writing to or that he's written before, because when you review your notes, you should go back and actually read the Bible verse too. When you review your notes tonight or tomorrow or next month or a year or three years from now, not only will you read your notes, but you're going to open up that Bible verse and read the Bible verse, and you'll see who he's writing to them that he's written before. There's no reason to write those things down. It's redundant. It's useless. It's vain to write those down when you can simply read the Bible verse and remember it and know it and acknowledge it. Amen. About all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach, and he's writing about what Jesus did. Verse 2, until the day that he was taken up, taken up to heaven. After he had, by the Holy Ghost, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, meaning after crucifixion, by meaning convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days after the crucifixion, and speaking of the thing concerning the kingdom of theos. Now, if you already understood and remembered that he walked on earth 40 days after his crucifixion, if you already know that, it's already ingrained in your mind, then there's no use of writing that down. But, if that is new to you, and you didn't know that, that he walked on earth 40 days after he rose from the dead, if that's new to you, then you should write that down in your notes. Even though you're going to read it again in the Bible, it is fundamental. It is important that it be ingrained into your mind. It's a huge, Huge fact that he walked on earth 40 days, not just one, two, or three days, but over a month that he walked on this earth after he rose from the dead. That is so huge 
that it needs to be ingrained into your mind and heart is very important. And therefore, if it's new to you, you need to write it down to help you to remember it. Because when you write things down, down, it helps you to remember it. But if it's already ingrained, there's no use writing it down. No. Now, it says, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of fields, verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Quote, which you heard of from me. For John baptized with water. This is how he promised. This is what he said. Which you heard from me, Jesus had said. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Now, that's not what John the Baptizer had said, not specifically, it's close to it. What John the Baptizer said to the Pharisees when they came for baptism is that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And he said it in the context of, of rebuke and warning that, no, I'm not going to baptize you. The Bible says in another verse that he did not baptize the Pharisees. So all these people that, that are claiming that the Pharisees did get baptized by John the Baptizer, they are ignorant of the other Bible verse that says that the Pharisees were not baptized by John the Baptizer. And they are also ignorant of the context, the tone of the voice that he used. Being baptized with the lake of fire is not necessarily a good thing. He was warning the Pharisees, John the Baptizer was, that God was going to destroy them in the lake of fire. That's what he was saying. Not a good thing. But this is not a quote from John the Baptizer. This is a quote from Jesus. And that Jesus would baptize his people with the Holy Ghost. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Now, in the Pentecostal church, they focus a whole lot on baptism of the Holy Ghost. And actually, that's good, except for they don't have the right definition. They believe baptism of the Holy Ghost means you're speaking in tongues. But there's no words in the Bible that says that's what it means. There are verses in the Bible where people have the Holy Ghost, and it doesn't say anything about them speaking in tongues. Amen. And as a rule, normally, generally, I usually don't speak in tongues because I do not have the gift of tongues. Now, later, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 12 about the different gifts that God gives different people because we're talking today about power given to us. And some people have the power, the supernatural power of speaking in tongues. Not everyone has the same gifts, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12. So it would be the wrong definition to say that baptism of the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues, although you can do both, absolutely, but not necessarily. And we're going to see that in Scripture. We're going to prove everything I said. Everything I said we're going to prove in Scripture to give me a time on that. 
The baptism of the Holy Ghost is actually receiving the Holy Ghost. Having the Holy Ghost filling you up, coming into you, engulfing you, immersing you in his power, his authority, his presence. Amen. He comes to you and not only lives inside you, but he envelopes. Envelopes you, engulfs you. I see people in the world in darkness wearing all black clothing and all the tattoos and all the piercings and all kinds of filthiness on them. I look at them and I say, the devil has engulfed them. The darkness has engulfed them. In other words, they're baptized in darkness. Amen. But we're baptized in light. Amen. We are engulfed with his presence. His presence is all around us, all over us, inside and out, ever present at all times, not just inside us. Amen. So then it says in verse 6, so that when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, and it's not for you, those people right in front of them, at that day, at that time, in that gathering right then and there, it's not for you to know the times or eras which the Father has appointed by his own power or authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. For you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Amen. And when he had said these things, he was lifted up where they were looking on, and while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men, or actually angels, in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way, meaning through the sky, as you have watched him go into heaven. Amen. So that is Luke's account of how that occurred. Now, here, Jesus promises that we now, of course, he's talking to the disciples, but as we, if we were to keep reading into chapter 2, it was more than just the disciples that received that power. Amen. It wasn't just 11 men that got baptized with the Holy Ghost. Actually, they had already been baptized with the Holy Ghost. Remember? I think it's in the book of John. That he breathed upon the disciples and they received the Holy Ghost. So they had already received the Holy Ghost that the disciples had, the apostles had. But this promise was actually not only to them, but to the entire congregation. That would have been more than just the disciples there. And this was a promise and a prophecy to the entire congregation and to the entire church and to us as well. And we see that over 3,000 people in Acts 2, over 3,000 people received the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. Amen. So, this is not just a promise 
to only a limited number of people in it or to a particular time period, but to all of us who would embrace his sacrifice and crucifixion, his life, his death and resurrection, and commit unto him in total obedience. Amen. And be saved and born again. You see the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38. It says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you will, will receive the Holy Ghost. So it's not about speaking in tongues there. So this empowerment comes through receiving the Holy Ghost. If we want our prayers to be answered, if we want God to pay attention to us, talk to us, if we want to hear his voice, if we want our prayers to have power and be answered, if we want grow in God's will or have greater understanding or to really know the truth, all these things come only through the receipt of his Holy Ghost, his presence, his spirit, his soul that went through the crucifixion. Not all of his soul went through the crucifixion because most of the spirit of God stayed throughout the universe only a very small part of himself was put on the cross. And only that measure, that part of himself that went through the death and crucifixion and resurrection, that part of himself that came through Mary, that part of himself that is called not only the Son of God, but also the Son of Mankind, that had human blood, only that part of himself And really atone for our sins and forgive us our sins entirely and erase all sins. It's only through the blood of half God and half man that that could be accomplished. You can write that down if you will. The only the blood of half God, half man. It atone for our sins. Because if it was the blood of only human, it could not atone because all humans have sinned. It required the blood of God, but that could only be accomplished if God obtained the blood of man within his own soul. Therefore, we use the term Holy Ghost. You can write this down. Holy Ghost equals the soul. The part of God that went through the crucifixion and death and resurrection. The 
which now lives inside us. Holy Ghost equals the soul, the part of God that went through the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection that now lives inside us. That is a different measure of God's spirit that would, outside that measure, be called the Holy Spirit. They are not two spirits. They are just different portions and measurements of his presence. Amen. The power comes from the Holy Ghost. The power comes from the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to prepare this with another reference in the Bible that's talking about the same thing. Jesus talking to people on the very day that he got rose up to heaven. And that is in Acts, I mean, Acts, Mark 16. Let's turn to Mark 16 now. And you can put that in your notes, Mark 16. I'll give you the verses after we turn. Write down in your notes, Mark 16, verses 14 through 20. Mark 16, verse 14 through 20. In your notes, write this. Signs to follow us by power and authority. Signs to follow us by power and authority. And verse 14 says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves. This is the after the crucifixion and resurrection. He appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the eating table, which was the custom of the day, that they wouldn't be sitting straight up like people do today, but they would be casually reclining around the table. I like that. might be a little bit difficult for us today with our digestive systems and, and everything to get accustomed to it, but I think it's a great ideal I like the idea of it, reclining around the eating table. And he reproached them or reproved them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, these were his 11 students and best friends who had followed him day and night for three and a half years. He had taught them intimately, in private and in public. If anybody should have believed in his crucifixion and resurrection, it should have been these 11 men. But yet, they didn't really believe that he would be risen from the dead. They didn't even really believe 
people who said, hey, I saw him this morning. They didn't really believe. It reminds me of the Israelites after they crossed the Red Sea. It's kind of difficult to understand that type of carnality, sinful, physical-mindedness. Hey, they were saved. They were saved. They had been breathed upon by the breath of the Holy Ghost. They had been breathed upon. They were saved. But they were still weak in the flesh with fleshly minds. They were still human men. We know that Peter continued and continued and continued in sin after the crucifixion. Peter had a lot of problems with sin. It shows you things like this. How that salvation is not only an initial experience of baptism, but also a growing experience, a journey that takes time to reach full maturity of the Spirit, full trust in the Lord, and true fullness, completeness to become to the statue of the measure of the statue of Jesus Christ that we are required to reach before we turn to spirit. It's not that it's really that difficult, but rather that we are that stubborn. It wasn't that difficult to believe in the power of God and his faithfulness and his ability to provide in the wilderness after you see the wall of water split in two. After you see that, how can you not trust God and believe in God? It's not that difficult. It's just that the people were that stubborn and hard-hearted. Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4 says, Harden not your heart as they did in the wilderness. It wasn't that it was difficult to believe in God, but rather they had a hard heart. That's the same problem today. It's not difficult to keep the Sabbath and the holy days. It's just that your heart is too carnal, that you really don't want to obey God, that you really don't trust God to provide for your needs. It's not difficult. You just stubborn. Amen. So he reproved them for their unbelief. And look what it says. I didn't even really realize it says that. Reprove them for their unbelief and what? Hardness of heart. I didn't even, I mean, I read it, but it didn't, it didn't enter my mind. It didn't enter my heart until the Holy Ghost spoke it. Then I looked down and realized it said it. And I, I uh, the Holy Ghost speaking for himself. He is his own, own witness. As Jesus himself said, amen. He reproved them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. Because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall 
be saved. That's an important verse to give to the people that believe only in John 3.16. You can write that down. These people that believe only in John 3.16, you can say, well, there's another 16 in the Bible. Mark 16, verse 16. That's an easy verse to remember. 16.16. Mark 16, verse 16. Whenever they bring up John 3.16. That, that should be ingrained into our mind. Amen. You could bring that up as quick as a snap of a finger because it's so easy. What about the other 316? Mark 16, verse 16. That says, not only believe, but be baptized. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has not believed shall be condemned. Verse 17, these signs come or can come from commitment, not just believe. It should be translated as commitment in my name. Casting out demons. Speaking with new tongues. That means speaking in with the gift of tongues. These are signs that can come from commitment in Jesus' name. Amen. But when we're talking about power given to us, some of us are given the power of speaking in tongues, and some of us are given the power of casting out demons. And it continues in verse 18, picking up serpents. And if drinking any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And laying hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, some people believe that if we are saved, we must do every one of these things. We must speak in tongues. We must cast out demons. We must heal the sick. We must pick up serpents. No, they don't believe in that part. They pick and choose which parts that they believe in. I've heard people do this. You have to speak in tongues. You have to be able to heal the sick every time we pray over somebody, every time you lay hands on somebody. They, if we are saved, we must be able to heal that person every time. I've heard this. These same people would not say, we have to pick up a snake. Hypocrisy. How can you pick and choose in the same verse? You have to do this but not do the other. We don't have to speak in tongues. We don't have to pick up snakes. And we don't have to drink poison. And we don't have to always cast out a demon every time we see one. That would be asking for trouble. You should never never cast out a demon unless that person asks you to cast it out. And it is not possible nor needful for every true, saved, truly saved person to heal the sick constantly. There is a false theology very, very popular out there that if we are truly saved, we're not going to have any sickness. 
and that God would always heal us if we just simply believed or be anointed or pray. That God will always heal us, and that's, that's always his will. That's a false theology. Because even the Apostle Paul had physical illness that God refused to heal, even though Paul saw for healing. And it says that three times Paul asked the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh, not thorn from his spirit, not thorn from his mind, not thorn from his heart. Those would have been spiritual issues, but from his flesh. And all three times Jesus said, no, I will not heal you. My grace is sufficient for you, meaning the spiritual things are sufficient for you. What I have already given you is sufficient for you. Great spiritual knowledge, great spiritual duty and responsibility as an apostle of the church. These things are sufficient for you, Paul. You need the infirmity. You need the physical trial. Paul himself said that if God had healed him, he would have been too proudful. He said the very reason, in different words, of course, that God would not heal him because otherwise he would be exalted beyond measure. He would have too much pride. He had a lot of knowledge. He had a lot of duty. He had a, respond, a lot of responsibility. He was an apostle of the church. He was writing Holy Scripture. He needed the sickness in the flesh to keep him humble. Amen. God will not always heal everybody, even if you are saved, even if you are an apostle or prophet. He won't always heal everybody. And it's not everybody's duty to be going around healing people. Only some people have the gift of tongues. Only some people have the gift of healing. Only some people have the gift of healing. Only some people should be casting out demons. Amen. But I would also say that even a person without a permanent gift, there may be times in your life that you might cast out a demon or God heal somebody through you, or you pick up a serpent, or drink poison, or speak in tongues, on a rare occasion for a specific time, for a specific person, situation in your life, without having the gift that you would be operating in that gift constantly. Some people have the gift constantly as a permanent gift, and other people, for most of us, which is a temporary occurrence that God would work through us in that particular way at that particular moment. Amen. At the same time, we should not condemn people for speaking in tongues if it is true tongues, and they are called to do so. We should not condemn people for casting out demons if they are called to do so, and they're really and truly doing it, and it's real. We should not condemn people for picking up snakes if they are called to do so, and they're doing so within the will of God. We should not condemn every one of the snake handlers because actually it's biblical. 
to pick up snakes if you're called to do so. As a child in the Pentecostal church, I was among snake handlers, and I'm glad that I was. I remember my grandmother with rattlesnakes, poisonous rattlesnakes, that she would take them up and and that she would put them around her neck in church, and other people would do the same things. And I never saw anybody bitten or killed by those rattlesnakes, even though I know that some people throughout history have been bitten and killed by snakes in the churches. I know that happens. Very clearly, those people were not called to do it. Or they were called to do it, but they were sinful and God judged them. We don't know. Amen. But to condemn every one of the snake handlers and say that's wrong or that's tempting God or it's not biblical, then you are the one that are not biblical because it is biblical. Even Moses was told to pick up the serpent. Amen. But these are signs that are possible for people who have received empowerment through the Holy Ghost. And that is power and authority to do such things that God calls us to do. And if we are called to do any one of these or even something different, then we should obey God, not quench the Spirit, not reject the Spirit, not reject the power and authority given to us. If God gives us power, we should use it. And I have seen examples, and I've heard it said, and I've heard it taught, and it's true, that if God gives you something and you don't use it, he'll take it away. That's very true. If God gives you a skill or talent or power or authority or administration or ability or calling, and you do not use it, and you say no to God, he'll say no to you. He'll take it away. And sometimes give that same gift or calling or duty or responsibility to someone else right next to you. That would be embarrassing. See it taken away from one person giving to another right beside you. I think that would be a great embarrassment that happens. So be careful that it don't happen to you. Use the power and authority, talent, skills, and gifts that God gives you. Use the power given to you. Amen. Feel free to make notes as you will. You don't have to wait for me to command you to make a note, but there'll be certain notes that I'll tell you definitely to write certain things down. But as you write things down on your free will, make them concise, condensed, but not so short that you don't know what you're talking about when you read it three years from now. These notes will be very valuable once we get into the Great Tribulation. Not every one of you are going to be with me during the tribulation. And even if you are with me during the tribulation, I'm not going to be able to stand right beside you constantly. These notes are going to be useful for dry times, for times when you feel alone, for times that you are down or discouraged or need some edification or encouragement or empowerment. These notes are going to be helpful. Amen. You can also make copies of these notes and share them with people that 
need that particular message. These notes are useful in different ways. They can be used for Bible studies a year from now and so forth. They can be used within your own gathering in your house to study the Bible with your friends and family and new believers. Now, let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, when I pronounce that chapter number, it should immediately come into your mind, this is the chapter of spiritual gifts or empowerment. 1 Corinthians 12. So if that's new to you, I would encourage you to write it down. 1 Corinthians 12 is the chapter of spiritual gifts, spiritual empowerments. Verses 1 through 14, put that in your notes. Verses 1 through 14. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 14. Verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Amen. This is important to know about the gifts or empowerments. Verse 2, You know that when you were pagans, which we all used to be, every one of us, you were led astray to the mute idols, however, that you were lied. Therefore, or that you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of Theos says, Jesus is separated from Theos, or different from Theos. I think that needs to be edited, Robert. Separated, uh, change to... Distinct, possibly. Separated equals distinct, possibly. Question one. Have to look more into that word more. That says no one speaking by the spirit of Theos says Jesus is distinct or separated from Theos. No one can or different from Theos is another possibility, Robert. Different or distinct. No one can say Jesus is Lord and really understand and comprehend it, except by the Holy Ghost. It's only through the Holy Ghost that people can say that Jesus is Theos, except by the Holy Ghost. Now, and understand it, and that Jesus is Theos, that Jesus is Lord, and really understand it. Now, anybody can say that. And the Bible proves that anybody can say that, even without the Holy Ghost. Remember? I think it's what? Matthew 17 or somewhere that says that they were saying to him in that day, Lord, Lord. That many were saying to him in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out serpents? I mean, devils. Did we, did we not cast out demons in your name? And we, and we healed people and we did miracles in your name. And Jesus will say to them, I mean, they did those signs that we just read about. And yet Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity, you workers at breaking the law. 
So just because you have those signs doesn't mean it's from God. Remember that Moses and Aaron, they threw down the staff that turned to serpents. And the sorcerers, the witches of Babylon, or Egypt rather, they did the same thing. They also turned a staff into serpents. The Egyptian sorcerers did. So even the devil has power to pick up serpents. Even the devil has power to cast out demons. Believe it or not, the Catholic Church cast out demons all the time, and they are demons. Why? Because it is a deception to keep the people under bondage to the Catholic Church. A lot of people in this world, when they think about uh, exorcism, which is true and real, casting out demons, that's what exorcism is, they think of the Catholic Church, and they only think of the Catholic Church because it is a decoy. There's a lot of decoys, lots and lots and lots of decoys out there for a lot of different things. And the Catholic Church, the demons, the devil himself, is having these supernatural occurrences of his own demonic power to fool people, to think that it's the Catholic Church you need to go to to have the signs and wonders or that you have to go to the Pentecostal church in order to have signs and wonders. You don't have to go to either one of those cults. You can be in the truth, keep the seventh day, keep the holy days, and have true signs and wonders from the power of God rather than the power of the devil. Amen. Just because somebody has a power doesn't mean it's from God. Amen. But this chapter is dealing with the spirits of, of the, the spirit of empowerment from God. And it says that uh, by the Holy Ghost, some people say that Jesus is Lord. Verse 4, now there are varieties of spiritual empowerment. Most translations say gifts. But the Greek word does not mean a present given to you. It means receive power. And therefore, it is a spiritual empowerment. There are varieties of these spiritual empowerments, but the same spirit, not two spirits, not three spirits. And there are varieties of ministries. Some people have a prophetic ministry. Some people don't have a prophetic ministry. That's okay. There are different ministries. And the same Lord. There are varieties of effects. But the same theos. What does that mean, effects? Robert, you can write that down for me to check out what that means. What does that mean, effects? I have to check it out. Edit it and translate it better to where we can understand it better. But the same Theos, who works all things in all people. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not for just yourself. Not to exalt yourself, but to help people for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. The word of knowledge is knowledge about a person's past or present. It is not the same as prophecy. 
and to another person is given faith by the same Spirit. That means a supernatural faith, not just normal faith. We should, all of us, every one of us, should have normal faith, good faith, huge faith, every one of us. But some people have a supernatural gift or empowerment of great faith. Certain people are given that by the same Spirit, and to another, spiritual empowerments of healing. It doesn't say everybody has a spiritual empowerment of healing, but only some people. Right here. Right here. Right here. Amen? So people have got to get rid of this false theology that every one of us has to give a healing. We don't. Because we have different ministries. Some people have a healing ministry. Some people don't. And verse 10, and to another, different people, the effecting of miracles, the working of miracles. So I think that word effect is works, the working of miracles. So that verse 2, rather, of works, of, of working there, of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. In other words, discernment of spirits. Now, this one, we all should have. We all should have faith, and we all of us should obtain some discernment of spirits. But some of us are given a greater ability, a greater, stronger empowerment to discern spirits. That we all should be growing in that. And to another, various kinds of tongues. In other words, some people would be given the speech of Chinese, Hebrew, Greek, Arabic, Russian, Spanish, but as a supernatural gift. Not that you learned it from a class or a book or a video, but that God gave you that language. It might have been just, just during worship services and using that gift on a regular basis, every week, every few weeks, whatever, or to a certain person, or while you're praying, that it might come out. And it will be a real language. It is a real language. It's not a made-up, it's not gibberish. But it's something that you did not learn out of a book or video or class. And to another, the interpretation of those times without having studied it. Verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For even as the body is one, the church is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many members, are also one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, one church, one congregation whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit, which proves there's no such thing as a trinity because a trinity would be two godheads or three godheads. Three godheads, three souls, three persons, three spirits. You either have one or three. You can't have both. Amen. Now, when you are baptized, you are baptized into the body of Christ. That means the church. That means the congregation. 
So if you are seeking baptism, don't think that you can just get baptized and then never contact me again and never listen to the services again. Every year, I become more and more and more strict about the requirements of baptism. Because every year, I see people be baptized and fall away. I do not want to be, I do not want to baptize people in vain. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste God's time. I don't want to waste my time. Amen. I do not want to baptize in vain. If you're going to be baptized, you have to understand that baptism is total commitment to Jesus Christ, total. You're going to keep the seventh day, which includes resting, not earning money on that day, not working that day, not doing hard labor that day, not sweating that day, not traveling long distances that day, but resting at home that day. Worshipping that day. Worshipping includes gathering together for worship services. And almost all of you, you're not going to have a local congregation. It's just not going to happen until the tribulation. So gathering for worship services means listening to these sermons. And if possible, listening live at the same time that the rest of us are, joining together at the same time, if possible. And if not, still listening to the sermons sometime that day, within that 24-hour period of while it is still the Sabbath day, from sunrise to sunrise. Amen. The Bible commands that. That's not me. That's not me. That's not my commandment. That is the Bible. It says that you are to have a commanded, Assembly that day. It is rest and worship and gathering together, even, even if it is over the Internet. This is God's commandment. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Amen. And it, baptism means that you're going to be part of this congregation. It means you're going to be my brother or my sister. That means you're going to call me. You're going to text me. You're going to email me. You're not just going to say hello and goodbye. But you're going to be an active part of the congregation. You're going to communicate with me. You're going to stay in touch with me. And you're going to be part of my family and the congregation. I'm not trying to build an empire for myself. I'm trying to build the empire of Christ. I'm trying to build and usher in the kingdom of God upon this planet. That's my job. That's my duty. That's my responsibility. That's my call in that. Trying to build God's kingdom, and He is building it through me and through you. And I need your help. Now, I need you to be active in this congregation. Amen. And it means that you'll no longer ever again keep Christmas or Halloween or Easter, not even eating meals with your family on those pagan days. But you're going to be committed to Jesus Christ in the truth. Amen. It is real commitment. And I believe it's an easy choice to make 
once you are exposed to the truth, how can you reject it? It's not that it's difficult to make that commitment. It's just that some people are stubborn. Amen. And it's not that you have to be 100% sinless because you're not going to be 100% sinless even after you get baptized until eventually you reach full maturity and completeness. But that takes a lifelong journey. You're not going to complete full maturity, full completeness in Jesus Christ within just a few months or one or two years. You're not going to do it, and it's not possible. Amen. Unless it is through the tribulation that increases it. It will be possible during the great tribulation to reach that full maturity within a matter of one year. It is not possible within one month. Even in that final year, it will take most of that time for the new converts to fully get committed and matured in Jesus Christ. It is a journey. It is a um, warfare that you have to win. Amen. So we see in this chapter that there are different spiritual empowerments. Now let's jump down to verse 27. I would like for you to write down in your notes verse 27 through 31. Verse 27 to 31. Verse 27 says, Now you are Christ's body, his church, his congregation, and individually members of it. And Theos has appointed in the congregation of called out ones, chiefly, meaning on top, the apostles. And then second, the prophets, and then third, the teachers. So this tells you that God has created an organization, a structure, an administration of the church and ranks within the church. This is not about anybody trying to exalt themselves, but it is about God's choice, God's structure, God's organization. You have to have organization or else it would be chaos. You have to have ranks and administration unless there be chaos. That's just reality of life. The apostles are the highest rank in the physical realm of the administration of the church. And then the second is the prophets, and then the third is all the other teachers, including the deacons and deaconesses. Now, it says also that there are also miracles and other also spiritual empowerments and healings and helps and administrations and types of tongues. 29. Are, all, it says, all or not apostles, are they? We would respond. We would answer Paul and say, no. Not everybody is an apostle. Then Paul also questions, all or not prophets, are they? No. All or not teachers, are they? No. All, or not workers of miracles, are they? It would be the same answer. It wouldn't be yes to one thing and no to another thing. All do not have spiritual empowerments of healings, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater or the better spiritual 
and kindness. He does say we can desire empowerment. There's nothing wrong with wanting God to empower us. We should want God to empower us. Paul said to desire but greater empowerment. But that's not to exalt yourself, it's to help people. If you have a mind frame and a calling to be a firefighter or a police officer or an ambulance person or whatever, emergency technician, you don't do those things to exalt yourself. But you do those things, and even as a doctor or a nurse or a physical therapist, you do things to help people. You see that there's a need and you want to help people. The same is true with being a a pastor or apostle or speaking tongues or to heal people, to cast out demons or to have miracles. It's not to exalt yourself, but that you want to help people. You see a need. You see that people need a place to assemble together and that they need a leader, that they need teaching, and that they need prophecies, and that they need casting out demons, and that they need healing. And so you see a need and you're like, I want to be empowered to help people. There's nothing wrong with that. But then Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And I'll reward that a little bit in the next update. You don't have to send this, Robert, because I've already got it. It says, in verse 31, it says, or I'm going to reword it as, but yet I will show you. Instead of, and I will show you, it's going to be, but yet I will show you a still more excellent way. And really, this was a poor place for them to separate chapters. There was originally no chapter divisions or even verse divisions. This was a poor place for them to separate the chapters. But yet I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clagging cymbal. If I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the needy, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, and is not arrogant, does not act undecumingly, it does not seek its own as to exalt itself. It's not easily provoked, although you can be easily provoked because Jesus was. But in general, in general, your general way of life, you're not easily provoked, does not take into account a wrong. Sometimes you can, the Bible says. But in general, in generally speaking, you don't always, not easily offended, not easily provoked. You're a gentle person normally. But there are times when you can't provoked or take account of a wrong because Jesus did both those things. Amen. And we should at times. So in other words, Paul says, yeah, you should seek empowerment, but don't exalt yourself. Don't be doing these things 
just to make yourself great. But you should do these things out of love, to serve people, to be a servant. Not to be not because you want to be a leader, but rather because you want to be a servant out of love, seeing the needs of the people that you love people, you see they need help, you want to help them. You're being a servant. That is the mind frame and heart of a leader is that you are a servant of the people. Amen. So also make sure you write in your notes chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Even though it does list some administration of the church, it also lists some gifts and empowerments that are not necessarily limited to the administration. It can be anybody in the church who has some of these different empowerments. Now, what I'm going to do now is to list a few more verses that will speak in more general of the lay member, people who are not in leadership, people who are not in the administration, not the pastors, not the apostles, not the prophets, and really not even people that have these huge empowerments, not casting out demons, not healing the sick, not those great or big giant miracle workers, but something more basic. Let's look at some of those. This should fit, the rest of the verses today should fit everybody, everybody, the lay member, okay? So let's turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1. Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. 2 Timothy 1, verse 17. And just write down this. Not spirit of fear, but of power. Not spirit of fear, but of power. God has given us. 2 Timothy 1, verse 17 says, But when he was in Rome, that's not it. <clears throat> Let me get right place in the Bible here. Maybe it's one Timothy. That's not it. Where is this? Let me look this up real quick. <clears throat> Where is that? I wrote it down wrong. One seven. Two Timothy one seven. 
That's it. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Thank you. Two Timothy one verse seven. For Theos has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. He has given us the spirit of power. He has given us power and love and discipline, meaning self-control, able to control ourselves or actions. Amen. But he has given us power. Now, that's very general to all the church, not just the leaders, not just the people with the giant working of miracles. But this is a very basic, every true, truly saved person. If you have the Holy Ghost, you got power. Remember that Jesus said, wait into Jerusalem, and you will be empowered by the Holy Ghost. 3,000 people, over 3,000 people was empowered. They didn't all have giant workings of miracles, except for a lot of them did speak in tongues that one time that day. But I don't think over 3,000 people was given all, every one of these gifts, empowerments. But we have all got power. We all got some kind of power. Power. We do have power. What kind of power are we all given? Every one of us is given. Let's find out. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. That's right after Galatians. Ephesians 6. Verses 10 through 19. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's empowerment. Amen. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That word might can also be translated as power, in the strength of his power. How are we going to be strong in his power, in his might? That is through the Holy Ghost. And it says, put on the full armor, the spiritual clothing of Theos, so that you will be able to stand. That means the, have the power to stand. If you are able to stand, then you have the power to stand. Able to stand firm, not weak, but strong and firm against the methods of the devil, the tactics of the devil. For our struggle, our war, our trials, different things, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, spiritual places, rulers, against the powers, spiritual, against the world forces of the darkness, of this darkness, against the spiritual wickedness in the universe. In other words, against demons, not against flesh and blood. But against demons is what this is speaking about. That is our warfare. Now it says we are to be strong in God's power and be able to stand strong against demonic forces. This is important. And this is an empowerment 
that is given to every one of us because this is our warfare. Amen. This is your warfare. This is every one of us. We are in this battle together. We are in a war, every one of us. Every one of us has the power to resist the enemy and to stand firm against the enemy, to stand our ground in truth and righteousness. God gives us that power. If you fall away, it's your own fault because God gives us the power against the enemy. If we will get spiritually dressed, amen, and if we will stand strong, and verse 13, therefore, pick up. That means pick up. You have to pick it up. It does no good just know that you can do something but not do it. You have to pick it up and use it. Lift up your hand. Take up the staff. Take up the full armor of theos so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And I say, I say, we are in the evil day. We are in the evil day. So that you will be able to have the power to resist that spiritual warfare, fight back. And having done everything to stand. We sung that song today. We sing it pretty often. Having done everything to stand. Notice it says put on the forearm. It doesn't say put on just part of the arm. But we must put on the full armor, having done everything. We've got to do everything that we can do. We have got to sign petitions. We have got to distribute flyers. We have got to call people, email people, talk to people face-to-face. We have got to pray. We have got to fast. We have got to anoint ourselves. We have got to claim the blood of Jesus. We have got to read the Bible. We have got to listen to the sermons. We have got to communicate with one another and participate in this work. We have got to do everything that we can do so that we will be strong as a body, as a church, as a ministry, as a work, as a kingdom, and individually, every one of us contributing our part to the whole. Amen. We've got to do everything to be able to stand firm because this warfare is only getting stronger. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having gritted your loins, girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Live a righteous life. Have the truth. And fashion your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Meaning, Try to be at peace with people. Don't be over-rebuking. Every time you talk to someone, constantly be rebuking or over-condemning or over-judgmental or anything like that. Of course, there are times for condemnation and rebuke. But in general, we are to be people of peace and gentleness and calmness. Amen. And verse 16. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith, got to use that faith, every one of us, with which you are able, have the power to do, to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In other words, the devil is throwing missiles, flaming arrows, 
He is throwing missiles on fire. Again, it says he wants to burn down our house. He wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. This war is real. And he is going to throw those arrows. We can expect it. So we have to take out the shield of faith. In other words, we've got to believe in God. Shield of faith. Believe in God. Trust God. Amen. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Theos. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean, pray in the Spirit? It does not mean that you have to pray in tongues. Most people think it does, or some people think it does. That's not necessarily what it means. Although some people can pray in tongues in the Spirit, but not everyone. I've never prayed in tongues. Ever. And it's not required. Praying in the Spirit means you have the Holy Ghost in you. You're praying as a saved person. And you're allowing His Spirit to lead you in prayer. Even as a father leads prayer at at the breakfast table. Amen. If he has children and he's raising a family, he's raising young boys and young girls and he ha- he gathers his family around the breakfast table and says, I know we all got to be at work and at school at a certain time, but we're taking the time to eat breakfast together as a family before we all dash out, this, out the door and we're praying as a family, we're eating as a family. That's the way it should be done. Amen. And it should never be Asking your kids what they want to eat. Oh, oh! One boy wants McDonald's. The other boy wants uh, cereal, and the other the girl wants French fries. And they all get something different. That's stupid, and that is spoiling your children, and that is allowing your children to rule you. It is very, very harmful to your children to give each one a choice of what, what, what they want to eat and where they eat it in the house, and where they're going to eat it, and all that stuff. You eat together as a family when you're raising children. You eat together as a team. You pray together as a team, and you eat together, and everybody eats the same thing, and everybody eats everything on their plate, whether they like it or not. That's the way children should be raised. That's how children will learn to appreciate different types of food. They eat it, or they go hungry. One of those. People have got to start raising their children right. Fought and stop spoiling their children. Praying in the Spirit means to let the Father lead prayer. To be spiritually minded as you pray. Not be thinking about things that you shouldn't be thinking about at that moment, but staying focused upon God and putting the spiritual things first, not putting money first and financial stuff worries first, but putting spiritual things first, praying about spiritual knowledge, what the truth is, 
guidance, direction about spiritual things, putting those things first, being spiritually minded in your prayer. Yes, you can ask for the things that you physically need, but put those things last and put the spirit first. Amen. And with this in view, be on the alert. Watch out. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Amen. Watch out for each other. Pray for one another. And pray on my behalf. The utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. You should not want a Joel Holstein type of ministry. I'm sick and tired, and God is sick and tired, of people on Facebook and other places being too gentle with their ministry, always wanting to only say words that make people feel good all the time, just always sugarcoating things, kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy, always gentle, calm words of encouragement, but never words of repentance and provoking to good works, as the Bible tells us that we should be doing, never warning about the prophecies to come, never warning about sin. That's not a ministry. That's just playing games and exalting yourself and trying to make your own kingdom, your own ministry. You're not helping anybody. You're killing people with such a ministry of watering down the gospel. We need the entire gospel, the full gospel, that includes a message of repentance, a convicting message. It's what people need today, a convicting message. More than any other time in history, people today, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. We need words of rebuke and boldness. But this, in the book of Ephesians 6, write down, armor of God is for fighting and defeating the enemy. Armor of God is for fighting and defeating the enemy. We have got to become fighters. That's not fighting for money or education or career or for our carnal, fleshly lust of more money, better job, bigger house, better education, better career. No. All those things are going to be out the window very soon now, I hope, because they are your God. For some of you, and I'm, I'm talking to people in this congregation, I am. Those things are your God. We must be willing to lose family and friends. We should not be afraid of persecution, people laughing at us and rejecting the word of God. These things are going to happen. If we are truly the servants of the Lord, 
we will speak bold words and we will share the truth in love with the right tone of voice, which sometimes should be raised. Time is short. We ain't got no time for sugarcoating the message and pretending to be like Joel Olstein. We ain't got time for no Joel Olstein. That man needs slapped. Physically, literally. I'm serious. He needs slapped. Somebody needs to just punch him in the face and wake him up. I don't care if you like what I said or not. It's the truth. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. When you read the Bible, hopefully, eventually, you will mature enough spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in Jesus Christ to realize how real this spiritual warfare is and what kind of dedication is really required and how far God is willing to go to save the lost. If only if only thing you think we need to do is always pray, always pray, always pray, always pray, like somebody on, on me we told me to do the other day. Just pray for them. Then you're you're not a fighter. You might think you're fighting in prayer, but you're not. Just a couch potato Christian. You're still in Babylon. If you think all you got to do is pray, you got to put action behind your words. God is going to require a whole lot more from people. A lot more. We have got to get some boldness and some courage to ourselves, every one of us, myself included. We have got to get more boldness and more courage especially the men. Men, you have got to step up to the plate. You have got to get tough and tough fast. You're going to be called to battle. Let's go to chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. Men have got to step up to the plate and be the leaders of spiritual truth. If your wife has started embracing the truth and you see that, then it is now your duty and your responsibility to not only catch up with her, but to surpass her in your thirst for the truth and start leading her in that same truth with the bible not your opinions not how you were taught by some pastor or some website or your family your mommy and your daddy grow up but from what the bible really says amen men have got to start communicating with me and not your wives and your girlfriends Bible says that the women was not 
exercise authority over the men. Men need to communicate with men, and men need to be the leaders, even within communication with me. Speaking for your wife, leading your family, A leader will get in front. Amen. A leader will get in front. And every man, every man, is called to be a leader. Amen. Now, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were, all of us were, dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, the rest of the world. But Theos, being rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, that's through the power of the resurrection, that is through the Holy Ghost, that we were baptized, Romans 6, we were baptized, we were crucified, and we were resurrected with Christ, made us alive together with Christ, by grace that you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is amazing. Uh, Mind-boggling. Verse 7, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? that he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It's a powerful statement. It means, spiritually, we are already sitting on thrones. Spiritually, we are already kings and queens. We are already being given power and authority in his kingdom, and we are spiritually, symbolically, symbolically sitting in heaven. Not literally, but symbolically, we are sitting in heaven. You got write that in your notes. Symbolically, we are seated on thrones in heaven. Symbolically, we are seated on thrones in heaven, comma, Given power and authority over the earth, and over demons, and over anything that comes against. Amen. And this is to the entire church, not just the leaders. It is all of us. 
that are being called to judge angels and to judge the world, as the Bible says. We're all called to be kings and priests and to reign with Christ and to symbolically sit in his seat. It says that. We are not going to replace Jesus Christ, but we are going to share and should already be sharing in his power, in his authority. Amen. So many people have said to me over the years that they could not or would not do something because they're not God, and, you know, they won't judge somebody because they're not God, or they won't say something, they won't rebuke somebody or something because they're not God. And that is a ridiculous excuse because they're wimps. They just always want to say, I'm not God, I can't judge no one, or I can't do this, and I can't do this, and this. It's just being afraid and a wimp and powerless. We can judge, we can rebuke when necessary, as led by the Holy Ghost, with power and with authority. And if we are seated in heaven, what good is that if we don't exercise the authority, the throne, the authority of the throne that is given to us? What good if we're going to sit in heaven and do nothing. If we're seated in heaven, seated in heaven, that means that we are expected to use the power and authority of our seat. If you are seated at the UN, but never vote up or down, never do anything, or if you're seated in Congress and you never vote on anything, then what? What good is your seat in Congress? What good is your seat in the UN? What good is your seat if you do not use the seat that God has given? Amen. There is power given to every one of us, and God expects us and requires us to use our seat of authority. Otherwise, he may take our seat away from us and give the seat to someone else who is more worthy, that would use that seat. Amen. Let's go to one John four, book of one John, near the book of Revelation. One John chapter four. One John four. Verses 4 through 6. Verse 4. 1 John 4, verse 4. You are from Theos. Yes, we are, little children, and have overcome them, the world, those that are in the world, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We have God inside of us. Amen. 
because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We have great power. We have great authority. Everyone is. And he that is in us is greater than the devil who is in the world. God is greater than the devil. Amen. In verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from Theos. We are from Theos. In other words, we are chosen by God. He who knows Theos listens to us. In other words, other people who are truly saved will listen to us. They will heed the messages. They will learn. They will grow. They will remain in the congregation worldwide. They listen to us. He who is not from Theos does not listen to us because they're not saved. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen? We know whether somebody is saved or not. I've heard a lot of people say, you can't tell whether somebody's saved or not. We, we can't tell who's saved, who's not saved. I've heard a lot of people say that. And that's ridiculous. Because, yes, you can most of the time. Sometimes we might not always be for sure because there are some people who are saved, but they've not yet come to the full knowledge of the truth. God's still working with them. But there's a lot of people who are not saved, and you know it. And you can definitely tell by the way they talk, by the way they dress, by the way they act, by their decisions in life, and even by whether or not that they will heed the message of God. Will they accept the truth? Are they willing to learn? Are they willing to grow in God's truth? Are they willing to repent of false doctrines and leave Babylon? Amen. And I'm reminded of the verse in Matthew that says, that Jesus said, go into the city and into the houses that you find worthy. And if they listen to you, as it says here, if they will listen to you, Jesus said in Matthew, then bless that house, continue to bless it, and stay there and let them take care of you as a minister or as a witness. But if they do not heed your word, if they do not accept the word of God that you share with them, it says to leave that house and to remove your blessing from that house and to shake the dust off your feet, which means curse that house. It doesn't say that we must always, with every person, constantly be patient and long-suffering and continue and continue and continue and continue to witness to them. Of course, some people we should. But it doesn't say to do that with every person, but rather to shake the dust off your feet, to leave, to depart, to remove your blessing, which means do not stay friends with them. If you're removing your blessing from them, you are not staying friends with them. Amen. We are not called to coexist with false doctrines. We're not called to coexist with Islam or atheism or Buddhism or homosexuality. We are not called to coexist with doctrines of demons. 
are going to be persecuted. We are going to be laughed at. We are going to be mocked. We will be rejected. We will be hated because we serve God Almighty in the truth. And that's just reality, and we have to face that reality, and we must be able to pick up our cross and carry our cross and deny ourselves and even lose family and friends if necessary, then so be it. God must come first. His truth must come first. And the world must be warned with boldness of speech and with courage. The world, your neighborhood, your society, your region, your town, your state, your nation, they need warned. They got enough of this sugarcoating. They got enough of the false preachers and the feel-good messages. It's time for God's people to speak with boldness and use the power and authority given to them and defeat the enemy in your own life, in your own mind, in your own heart, in your own flesh, and your spiritual warfare. Slap that devil. Put him under your feet. Take control of your heart. Take control of your mind. Take control of your family, men, so-called men, little boys. Take control of your wives. Take control of your children. Take control of your family. And become leaders, men. Time for the church, every member, every person, every individual, to take your place upon the wall, your place on the fortress as a guard for your family and your community. It's time for people to start protesting the abortion clinics and the mosque and the halal restaurants. It's time that people take action and get off your knees of prayer and put action but time behind your words. Time for us to throw down and to root out empires to build up the kingdom of God. Where is the army of the Lord? Where is the kingdom of God? Where are his fighters, his soldiers? Nowhere to be found. They're in their prayer closets with the doors shut, hiding and crying in privacy, shrinking back from their responsibilities, afraid to speak, afraid they might lose a family or friend. Will God find faith on the earth when he comes? I don't know. I do know because he promises that his people will finally rise up. His army will rise from the dust. From the dust. His army will rise from the dust, but only after the tribulation comes. It is only after the tribulation comes that most of his people will take action. Because what's that saying? When the tough gets going, or when times get rough, the tough gets going. Say it one more time. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now let's turn to the book of James. James 4. James chapter 4, verse 7. 
James 4, verse 7. A lot of people, they don't want to listen to the sermons because they're too long. Ain't fit for two and a half hours, three hours, three and a half hours, but they can go to the store and spend four hours. Always excuses. People are too lazy to listen to the word of God. James 4, verse 7. Submit, therefore, to Theos. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is the power and authority to every truly saved person who has the power of the Holy Ghost. Because of God being in you, the devil will flee. If you submit yourself to God, total commitment, keeping the seventh day, keeping the holy days, being part of the congregation, being active in the congregation, submit yourself to Theos. If you're not doing everything I just told you that you need to do, you're not submitting yourself to Theos, not fully, not wholeheartedly. Submit means all the way. That's what it means, all the way. You can't submit halfway. Either you submit or you don't. Submission, submission includes a complete submission. Submit yourself to God. Be part of the congregation. Be active in the ministry. And then resist the devil. That's more than just praying. That's fighting back. Resisting the devil. When you resist, you are putting forth energy against. You're showing restraint rather than allowing him to conquer you. You're fighting back. You're showing restraint to the enemy. You're submitting to God while restraining the enemy and resisting the enemy you got to do both. You can't do just one. If you want the devil to flee, then you have to do both these things. Just submitting to God alone, on your knees, always praying, is not enough. It won't work. You have to do both, submitting to God and fighting back, resisting the enemy. Then the devil will flee from you. Amen. You have to be in war. You have to fight on the defense and on the offense. That's the only way you can win a war. Defense meaning you're defending yourself. When the enemy comes against you, you practice self-defense. But offense means you don't always wait for the enemy to attack. Sometimes you attack first. Sometimes you fight first. Sometimes you speak up first. Sometimes you get so bold and full of the power of the Lord that you go and you fight. Amen. Now, you can't always. You should not always pick your fight. You should not always provoke a fight with the enemy. Not always. You've got to use wisdom. You have to attack at the right time, at the right place, for the right reason with the right tactics, and within the center of God's will. Otherwise, it still won't work. Amen. He is the leader of this army. He 
should be leading you in your spiritual warfare. But if you think that you've always got to wait on the Lord for every little direction, then you're never going to get anywhere in this fight or in life with God. You have to seek God. You have to make the initiative to seek God. And many times you've got to make the initiative to do something for the Lord and in your offensive fight against the enemy. You can't always wait for dad to always say, pick up your clothes, do this, do that, go wash the car. You've got to know what the need is and fulfill the need and do what you know he would want you to do. Not wait for God to tell you every little thing you're doing. A lot of people, a lot of people think they've got to wait on God to command them to pick up a finger. You should know the will of the Lord. And if you know it, it's his will, then you already got permission. He shouldn't have to command you to do everything. If it's his will, you've already got permission. Just do it. Amen. Exercise the authority that God has given you. God has made every one of us a manager. And when you're in management, if you do not say, I'm a manager, and you do not exercise, you don't command people or ask people to do a job, and you don't take that leadership role, then you're going to get fired. You, you will not be in management very long. A manager must exercise the power and authority given to him or he will be fired, and he won't be a manager at all. Amen. Husbands, you are managers. Do the job. Manage your women. Manage your children. Women need leadership. Children need leadership. People need leadership. The world, your community, your family, this generation, they need leadership. Amen. One of the main reasons this world is in such a ridiculous, bad shape is because men are not doing their jobs at managing their families. Amen. They're letting their women rule them, and they're letting their children rule them. That's one of the biggest reasons that the devil's winning so much of the spiritual warfare. Because men are wimps and they won't lead their wives or their children. They're absent. Let's go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, verse 19. I'm not doing a very good job at teaching how to take notes today. I'm more focused on the spiritual needs. Amen. Luke 10, verse 19. I remember Jesus gave me this verse several times many years ago, and that was so fundamental at that day and time, and even to this time. It was mind-blowing 
how God gave me this verse repeatedly, over and over. He gave me this verse. But he's also given it to you and to all of the church. Luke 10, verse 19. Behold, Jesus says, I have given you authority, power. I've given you authority to, to thread, as a military term, to, to thread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nothing will injure you. Amen. So, God has given us power. He has given us authority over serpents and scorpions. Those are dangerous, dangerous things. Dangerous uh, animals, whatever you call them. The, the serpents and the scorpions. Rattlesnakes. Things that bite. Things that can kill. Things that can be used against us as a weapon. That are physical but sent spiritually. Things used against us. The other Bible verse says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon. And of course, we know that there are exceptions. We know that some of the truly saved people will be beheaded in the great tribulation because they refuse Take the mark of Islam and the Catholic Church and false religion. Christmas, Easter, Sunday, all of that is part of the mark of the beast. Once you're called out of Babylon, they refuse to go back to Babylon. And so they'll be beheaded for that. Some people, that is their calling to die for Christ in the truth. So we're not promised, really, when we read all of the Bible, that we'll never die, or that the enemy will never arrest us, or the enemy will never behead us. But in general, in general, we have victory when the enemy attacks us. That most of the time, if we are living for the Lord in the truth and fully committed to God and submitting ourselves to God and resisting the enemy, then yes, we're protected most of the time. We might die of beheading three years from now or a year from now, but until that time comes, we're knocking it out. We are knocking out every weapon that comes against us. We're knocking it out. And we are destroying those weapons against us, those missiles, those fiery darts that are sent against us. We're using that shield of faith. We're using the full armor of God spiritually. We've got on that helmet of salvation, and we're not allowing the enemy to conquer our minds and hearts and souls and families. Amen. And we're winning the battle. There will be battles won and there will be battles lost. That's reality and that's life. That's reality of warfare. We will win battles and we will lose battles. But overall, 
in general. We will destroy the serpents and the scorpions, and we will take the power and authority and use it against all the weapons of the enemy. And we are more than conquerors, overwhelmingly, more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And even if we do die, we'll just rise right back up in the resurrection. He won't be able to keep us down. We'll just rise again in the resurrection and live again. But the devil will die. The devil and all of his demons will die in the lake of fire. They will die. They will be destroyed and not live forever. But we'll live forever if we make it in. Amen. This is power over serpents and scorpions. But we have to exercise it with boldness, with power, with authority. Let's go to John 14. We're almost done. We'll go to John 14 and then one more place after that. John 14, verse 12. John 14, verse 12. Amen, amen, which means truly, truly. It does not mean praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But truly, truly, I say to you, he who entrusts his soul to me, says Jesus, the works that I do, he'll do also. And greater than these, he would do. Because I go to the Father. His work is done. Now it's our turn, our job, our duty, our power, our authority to do the work that he did, and even greater. Even greater, even even greater works than Jesus did. He did great, great things, great miracles. And if we believe in the power of God that he has given us and use it, each one appropriately, individually, according to God's calling for us, not God's calling for someone else, that each one of us individually, God's calling for us with the particular gift or empowerment that he has given us and use it. We do great things. We do exploits, as it says in Daniel. Exploits, great things. Amen. And the Bible also says that nothing shall be impossible to us. I will go back in my mind and verbally with you right now to Mark 16 that these signs shall follow those who commit to him. That if we was to drink deadly poison, we'd be okay. If we accidentally picked up a serpent or even if God told us to, we'd be okay. We're going to be okay. But if we die, we'll be okay. Fear not them that is only able to destroy the body, but fear only him who is able and will destroy both body and soul in the lake of fire for those that do not make it in. God is good, and he is going to win this. 
and those that stand on his side with him on that last day, those will be the ones that make it in. He'll separate people on the right and the left, goats from the sheep. We want to be on the winning side. Let's turn to Romans 16 for our last reference. Romans 16, verse 20. Romans 16, verse 20. The Theos of peace will soon crush Satan, praise the Lord, under your feet, not under his own feet, under your feet, our feet. Now, how would he do that? Only if we pick up our feet and use our own feet. Amen. And how can you crush anything unless you put some force behind your feet? He would do it, but under our feet. It reminds me of how God told Moses and Aaron, lift up your hand or take your staff and do this. Throw the ashes up in the sky. Uh, wave your staff, different things like that. Now, God could have done it without Moses. God could have done it without Aaron. But he told Aaron, do this. He told Moses, do this. And they had to physically lift up their hands and do things, and God did it through their hands. And here, God's going to do it through our feet. We have to walk. We have to march. We have to put pressure and steam to energy to our feet. Amen. He's going to use us to defeat the enemy. And it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The theos of peace will soon crush. Satan under our feet. The blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus. We claim the blood of Jesus, but we also claim the Holy Ghost. People need to claim the blood of Jesus, but we also need to claim the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the source of our power. It is God present with us that empowers our fist. Somebody needs to punch the Holy Ghost, but the power of the Holy Ghost behind their fist. Lift up their hands with power, with bonus, with authority. I'm not threatening that man. I'm saying somebody else. Somebody else. I'm saying somebody else. I'll do that. I'm not going to travel to Texas. Somebody ought to do that. He deserves it. Some men are called to fight. Joshua, David, was called to fight. People say, oh, that was Old Testament time, not New Testament. The Bible says God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. The same God that used 
little tiny David, a little man, to kill a giant is the same God that would love to see someone take the power and authority given to them today. No. Do not condemn the military. Do not condemn those that are called to lift up the serpent and those that are called to cast out demons, those that are called to fight in different ways. There are different ministries. There are different callings. There are different empowerments. He sends one person to a certain place in a certain way. He sends another person to another place in another different way. But it's the same spirit that led David that led Samuel, but they fought two different ways. It is the same spirit that led us today. Amen. God is great. God is good. He is good always. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I hope that you are all empowered today. Plug it in. Plug it in. Get empowered. Plug in the Holy Ghost. Amen and use it. Feel that juice flow. Amen. Feel that electricity of the Holy Ghost and use it. Amen. Use the gifts God has given you, each one individually. Men, stand up and be leaders. Amen. What we need. Oh, we've got the new moon of the sixth month. Coming up, not next Sabbath, but the Sabbath after that, on the last day of August, that's two weeks from now, and that will double as both a new moon service and a weekly seventh day service. So uh, that's really nice to have the new moon falling on the seventh day to where we can have both purposes served by one service. We've got the Feast of Tabernacles coming up soon. So that's going to be an increase for all of us in our preparations, uh, things we have to think about, things we have to do, things we've got to get ready for, including me preparing sermons, making plans, and so forth. So I, I consider this a great provision, a blessing, and a help from God to make the uh, not only that month, but even the next month, these next two new moons will fall on. Uh, holy days or seventh days where we don't have to have extra worship services, which would be fine, but it makes it easier to not have to prepare as many sermons in a time of the year that work is increasing and have to prepare more sermons and other things. The Alpha and Omega Bible is getting done. It's almost there. I've completely finished the law, history, and wisdom. Three out of five. And prophets won't take me very long. I've only got to correct only one more verse. Again, I have to uh, make sure all the chapter numbers throughout match up. Everything's good. Uh, formatting, 
send that in, then work on New Testament. In New Testament, I've got a lot to do on. Prophets won't take me long at all. That should be done maybe Sunday or Monday. And then maybe New Testament, hopefully by Wednesday. And maybe by Thursday, it might be available to people all of that. So just hang in there just a little while longer. Hopefully, hopefully, by the next seventh day, next week, seven days from now, I'll be able to tell you that I'm ordering the Bibles for you or that you can order the Bibles, whatever the case may be. So it's getting there. It's getting there. And then I have to update the uh, the eSword edition as well as the uh, audio uh, files. I have to update all those after that so my work won't be done. And, of course, we'll continue to perfect the translation even through the rest of the year. And we'll probably come out with another update, paperbacks, maybe about February or something like that. But I do encourage everybody to get this update after this is finished this next week because there's a lot, a lot of improvements, more notes, better translations, a lot of typos fixed and so forth. So bear in there a little bit longer, continue to pray about it. Pray for the radio broadcast in Ohio that comes on every Friday afternoon. Pray for that. Please be praying for that. Pray also that God will help us with a way of advertising in that local area of Ohio to let people know to listen to the broadcast in that area. I'm searching for advertisement in that area. I've decided to not advertise on Facebook anymore because they just now established brand new terms of service that if you're saying anything against any religion, if you're saying anything against any homosexuality, if you're saying anything against Islam, even if you're just simply using the word Christian, you're not allowed to advertise on Facebook no more. So goodbye, Facebook. As far as my money, as far as advertising, as far as the money for advertising, they just have to do without it, amen? And I will find other resources, other ways to reach the people in Ohio. Uh, of course, I am staying on Facebook to witness to people because it's necessary. I've got to reach into the dirty pits and the dirty dungeons of the world in order to, order to reach the lost. But they won't get no more of the advertising money from this ministry, and that's their loss. Amen. Pray for advertising for the radio station in Ohio. I was uh, trying to get some billboards. They, they never returned the call, so I guess they rejected God's word. They've rejected God's revelation and refused to rent a billboard to me. So we'll find different ways, maybe different billboards. Pray for that as well. Continue to pray for my wife, me, the entire congregation, one another, and the new people. Even if you, if, even if you don't know their names, God knows their names. And just lift up in prayer, Father, I want to pray for the new people, the new converts, the new people who are coming into the ministry for them to accept your word, to grow in the truth, to grow in your will, and to commit entirely your spirit to your will, to the truth. 
and to be strong in it and not go back to Babylon. Amen. Pray like that. So uh, let me see. Is there anything else? Anybody here think of anything else? Anybody here have testimony, a dream, or a vision, something they want to share? Or a song? I do think that within the next three weeks or so, that my wife will have a special song on a keyboard, and Brother Robert will have a special song on a harmonica coming up within the next three weeks or less, maybe two weeks or less. So look forward to both of those uh, contributions and to the service, special songs. And also, Jonathan in prison, we're going to record him singing some songs. And I will play those um, for you during the worship services, some special music brought to us by Brother Jonathan in prison. I look very much forward to that. He sings very well, but it doesn't matter whether somebody sings good or not. And it doesn't matter whether somebody plays an instrument well. But rather, it just only matters that people contribute and participate in the worship service and in the ministry. And that is very good and very excellent when people do that. And um, we need it very badly. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the congregation said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Ten four and out, they said. Ten four and out. Yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.